The Lifestylist, episode 160. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. After years of working on my health, one thing is abundantly clear, and that is the gut is the master controller of your body. Listen, you've got to get your gut healthy. That means you have to have not only the right bacteria going on in there, but also the right fungus. That's where Biome comes in. Biome makes an amazing probiotic supplement that's got not only the healthy bacteria that you need, but also the fungus. And that's what's missing from most other products on the market. So I really like these guys. Not only do they have a prebiotic and probiotic supplement that's awesome, they have quite a few other things that are great. What's really dope is they have a home testing kit. So you can test your gut and then get the results and find out what's going on and then talk to a live nutritionist that's going to give you recommendations. It's really cool. So they send you the kit, you take a sample, which is not as gross as it sounds, you mail that sample in, you find out what's going on with your bacteria and fungi levels, and then they give you actionable insights so you can deal with it, okay? So go to biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist. That's spelled B-I-O-H-M health.com forward slash lifestylist. Now, when you get over there, make sure to use the code lifestylist at checkout to save 15% off your order. That's biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist, 15% off with the code lifestylist. Let's find out what's going on in that gut and let's fix it. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi.com. Really excited about this product. I've been using it for a few months and I've got to say they are revolutionizing the green juice game. So you probably know that green juice is good for you, right? We see them like in 7-Eleven now and airport convenience stores. That's awesome. I'm all for it. There's a couple of issues with green juice that I find troubling. A is a lot of times they come in plastic. B, they're loaded with sugar up to 25 grams sometimes, which is insane. That's like a green Coke. But the main thing is they're just really inconvenient. They're not good for travel. Organifi has solved that problem by creating these single serving packets of a really easy to mix, easy to use green juice superfood blend. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, turmeric, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, coconut water. Best of all, it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is a really low glycemic sugar. So it's not gonna spike your blood sugar, which essentially drains you of energy, makes you crash, and ultimately could also make you fat because you don't wanna be having a high sugar drink. It just is not good. So these guys make this amazing tasting, super powerful green juice powder. It also comes in a tub if you just wanna have one at home. It's by far the tastiest one that I've found. There's a lot of superfood green blends around. And to be honest, a lot of them just taste gross and they don't mix well and they're just not convenient to travel with. You'd have to like make a Ziploc bag full of some green powder. You know what I'm saying? You don't wanna be traveling through the airport security and get caught with one of those. So if you wanna check it out, I highly recommend that you do. 
And I've also got a little discount for you, of course. All you do is go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20% off your order. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20%. Check it out. What's happening, my fellow soul survivors and cosmonauts? This is Luke Story, host of the Lifestylist Podcast. You are joining me today for a very heartfelt and meaningful show. This is a bootleg broadcast of myself recorded live at Bulletproof Upgrade Labs in Santa Monica, California, talking about the meaning of life at this point in my journey. Now, you might notice that the sound quality of this particular recording is not up to our usual standards of excellence, because after all, it was a live recording and I was jumping around and acting a fool and having a really great time. And I don't get to use the high quality microphones when I record live that I do here in the studio, like the one I'm using right now. So there's your disclaimer on sound. I'm hoping that the intention and the meaning and the value of what's said will override your ear's propensity to find fault with the slight hum, buzz, click, beep, boom here and there. I started the Lifestylist podcast to share some of the things I've discovered along my journey of personal development and spiritual seeking. But if there's one thing I've learned in my 22 years of biohacking and soul searching, it's that while it's important to maintain your physical health, what's even more important, what's paramount is our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. And that's what this episode is about. So while we do need to keep our physical vessel, you know, our meat suit healthy and stable and in tune so that we can fill our soul's mission of love and service to others here on the material plane, it's kind of a spiritual trap to become too enamored by this temporary loner vehicle we call our body. So in this bootleg broadcast of a talk I gave at Bulletproof Upgrade Labs, I focus on the global human experience and the role of mindset, mindfulness, and spirituality in our overall health and wellness strategy. So hopefully you're ready to start spirit hacking. Some of the topics we discussed in this episode are as follows. The time I recorded my stem cell surgery and put it on YouTube and why I've never watched it. <laughs> A centering breathwork exercise that I lead the group through. Then we talk about primary water, aka the nectar of the gods. What it's like to go out and hunt for your own spring water and have that connection to nature. How you can protect yourself from the onslaught of EMFs and turn your bedroom into a Faraday cage. Why I'm a sun worshiper. How meditation creates the gap between witness consciousness and the phenomenon we call living life. How you can take advantage of negativity fasting and why you must give it a shot. The practice of prayer, not strictly religious prayer, but living in a state of recognition that we're not separate from everything else in the universe. Praising God in the highest and most true sense. Serving the highest good for yourself and others. The prayer that changed my life forever back in 1997. And then finally, why all of these spiritual, mental, and physical practices have one purpose. They give us the capacity to be of service in the world. And it's my deepest, most sincere desire that this bootleg broadcast of the Lifestylist podcast is of service to you. Enjoy the show. Thank you for the warm welcome. 
so good to see so many people here. I know so many of you. It's awesome. It sort of sucks having to talk because I kind of just want to hang out because <laughs> I see so many people that I know. And there's, of course, people that I don't know. So those of you that I don't know, uh, welcome. And the talk is for you because everyone else, I already know, and they hear my ass all the time. Uh, so I have this podcast called The Lifestylist. And the reason I started that podcast is because I really wanted to share some of the things that I've been discovering for the past, God, almost 22 years now on my journey of personal development, self-improvement, like was said a moment ago, kind of becoming my own doctor and being responsible and autonomous for my own well-being in all areas. And so I started the show thinking that it would be all about the experts that I've been studying for all these years and sharing their experience and knowledge with the world, which I've done and I love doing. But it sort of turned out uh, somehow that every once in a while someone says, hey, you know stuff too, will you come talk about that? And I really enjoy uh, sharing what I've learned as well. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, I would like to also say that I'm going to be talking about biohacking and I'm going to be talking a bit more about the global human experience, not the world global, but global in our own lives, and delve a little bit more into the mindset, mindfulness, and the spirituality. Because there's one thing that I've learned over all of these years of research and kind of fine-tuning the lifestyle that I lead now, is that too much focus on just the physical tends to become kind of its own addiction or obsession or distraction. And I know that from my own experience. So it's like there's always this fine-tuning of balance between, for me at least, personally spending time getting the physical vessel, the meat suit or the space suit as I call it, uh, on point, in tune, so that I'm able to do the real mission here. So I'm going to talk about all three of those things, hopefully within the next hour or so, and then take a few questions. Does that sound good? Okay, awesome. And before we start, I'd like to get weird. Do you guys want to get weird? Yes. <laughs> I was uh, talking to a couple of friends outside, and we were talking about the weird things that I do out in the world. And <clears throat> it's so funny because the way I live, to me, is actually the normal way. So, for example, I was talking, where's Amy Killen, Dr. Amy Killen, who, that woman right there has injected stem cells into my penis, by the way. <laughs> so it's like you might want to talk to her afterward if you <laughs> True story. It's actually on YouTube, too. You know, okay, I'm going to, I have to take a... Focus on that. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So before we get into getting weird, let's get weird. So I was talking to Amy outside about my trip to Park City, where she works at Doceri Clinics and does all kinds of crazy things with stem cells. And I go to Long Beach Airport, by the way, little known secret, that airport's way less stressful than LAX, and they have great flights going places. They also have this outdoor patio, and I was out there doing kundalini yoga, breath work, have my shirt off, I'm out there grounding, barefoot, doing my thing, and, and I'm live streaming on Instagram. And uh, just to show people like what you can do at an airport that's way more fun than geeking out on your phone or whatever, and, or waiting in line or something like that. And uh, so I'm doing my thing and security comes over and they're like, sir, we uh, heard that you're making noise over here. <laughs> Someone has reported you. And, and it was funny because I was in such a chill space that I wasn't defensive or anything. You know, I, he caught me in a good moment where my, my guard wasn't up at all. And I said, oh, that's interesting because I'm being so quiet. I'm, all I'm doing is breathing. It's funny that someone would think that's making noise, you know? And he was like, what are you doing, some kind of yoga? 
was like, yeah. He's like, cool, have fun. You know? That was the Long Beach Airport. But with Amy's thing, Dr. Amy, and, um, and that whole stem cell thing, I had a uh, film crew there, or one-man film crew, and then I live-streamed the whole surgery, which I got you know, stem cells taken out of my bone marrow in my hip and out of uh, my back fat, fat-derived and bone marrow-derived stem cells. It's another story. It has nothing to do with this talk, but it's a pretty serious biohack. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to be in surgery. I'm going to interview Dr. Harry Adelson and Dr. Amy. And so we did the interview, and then I went under the knife and under anesthesia and just live-streamed the whole thing. But what was funny about it is that I mean, obviously, you're partially naked when you're having that procedure done. I know that they're going to protect my privacy and whatnot and not get me kicked off YouTube. But what was awesome is the cameraman, apparently I was out, but they reported me afterward. The cameraman didn't know he was going to be filming surgery. He thought it was just going to be the interviews. And so after the interviews, I'm like, all right, dog, so I'm getting undressed. They're going to like put me under and start cutting me up. And he's like, what? So during me being under anesthesia and having the procedure done, Homeboy kept getting all nauseous and having to leave the room. (laughs) Yeah, he barely made it through, right? And then what's hilarious about it is when I turned the footage into my video editor, because I wanted to do a mashup of the surgery just to put something weird on YouTube, and my editor emails me and he's like, hey, no offense, but who the fuck shot this thing? This guy sucks. It's all shaky. I was like, homie didn't know what was... uh, what was on the agenda for his shooting. But anyway, that whole procedure does live on YouTube. And the reason I brought it up and why I think it's funny is I've never watched it because it'll make me queasy. Like, I, who, I can't watch that. Dr. Harry takes like an ice pick, basically, and a hammer and is like, kunk, and goes into your bone marrow, right in that big plate bone in your hip. Like, I can't watch that. But if you guys want to watch it, get real. <laughs> it's totally not part of the presentation. Okay, I got to be mindful of time here. Where are we at? Okay, so... Back to getting weird, because that was the normal part. I'd like to do a little breath work, and I'd like to just bring us all into the room and get super present and just get a really good vibe going so we can take a deep dive and cover some what I hope is really beneficial information, okay? So hopefully without knocking out the person next to you, here's what I want you to do. Sit up straight, make your spine as erect as you can, kind of scoot up in your chair so you can, you know, get your spine in alignment. I want to get some energy moving through your spine. And then if you can, and, you know, according to your own range of motion and abilities, don't feel pressure, no pressure. If you just want to take a nap, that's totally fine, too. That's what we do in Kundalini Yoga. If you don't feel like doing stuff, you lay down and go to sleep. But here's the move. Okay, arms straight up like that. Straight elbows. And then with your hands, extend your thumbs like there's an arc going over the top of your head. Some people's shoulders go back more than others. Out here is fine too. The idea is you want an arc and then you're putting the tips of your fingers right in the little pads of each finger in your palm, okay? You guys can see that? Everyone looks good, okay. Now what we're going to do is something called breath of fire. I'm sure many of you in the room are familiar with this particular breath sequence or technique. It consists of an even inhale and exhale through the mouth. Goes a little something like this. It's good if you can use your diaphragm and kind of use your gut, get that energy. What we're trying to do is move the energy from the lower base survival chakras that we all need to survive in a city like LA and move them up into the heart and move them up into the head and eventually explode them out into the ethers. That's another class altogether. We can at least get it up into the heart, okay? So we'll do just a 
few minutes, maybe like 25 minutes of this. <laughs> Sometimes you do 21 minutes, but we'll just do a minute or so. Ready? Oh, sorry, I forgot something. Eyes closed and focus right here in your third eye. Keep going. I have to talk, so I have to cheat and stop. Then when I say the word, you're going to inhale deeply all the way to the core. And you're going to hold your breath. And you're going to join your two thumbs together and extend your fingers directly pointed up into the sky. On the count of three, two, one, hold. Open your fingers. Connect the tips of both your thumbs and hold your breath. And this is the weird part. Tighten your rectum and your sex organs and then your stomach and pull that energy and that breath up as high as you can up your spine. Visualize that energy hitting the base of your skull. And exhale. I'd like to take a poll. Does anyone feel a little bit different after having done that than they did just sitting there when I was shooting the shit before? Isn't that interesting? The breath and intention and awareness of intention and breath is so powerful. You know, I love all the technology here. I love coming to this place. I use all this stuff. I would be hard pressed to give up all of these practices. But if you told me I could only do one thing the rest of my life, like one technique or trick or hack, it would probably be breath work. Yeah. And I'm not even an expert in the subject. I've done kundalini yoga for a number of years. I've studied a lot of different types of breathing techniques, but I'm not like a teacher per se. I feel qualified to do that one safely, but it's a really great way to change your energy. And anytime I go do anything and have to kind of um, switch gears or switch my state, I'll just walk around the block and do that. I find somewhere where I don't look too crazy, <laughs> you know, which is hard. And I just do things like that and I just reset myself. And it's incredible the impact that it can have. And there's a lot more where that came from. And a lot of the stuff that I do that I find really impactful is from the tradition of Kundalini Yoga. I get nothing out of promoting it. Unfortunately, there's not like an organization that I am in an MLM with or something where I, you know, sign you up or something. But uh, it's just a practice that is really has really helped me. But even outside of that, you don't have to do that. I mean, you can study the Wim Hof method or holotropic breath work is another really powerful practice. And it's just incredible what you can do with no tricks up your sleeve, just your body and your intention like that. So I like to open talks that I do that way, really selfishly because it helps me get grounded into my body and become really present. And I find that through the breath is one of the most uh, effective and fastest ways that I can kind of land back in my physical body and just be here. So now that I'm here, I want to talk about a couple different things. As I said, I'm going to cover a little bit about the physical realm. And uh, we did go on a deep dive into water last time I was here. I'm going to try and restrain myself and keep this part brief. It's something I'm very passionate about. I've found in the 20 plus years that I've been into all of this stuff that water is something that people know very little about or pay much attention to still even now, even in a city like Santa Monica, Venice, LA, where People are super health conscious and they're eating paleo or vegan or organic or whatever, and they've got it all dialed. 
I think to a lot of people, water is just like, oh, this is water, whatever, water is water. Water is not just water, it's crucial. And everyone, of course, has a different opinion on what the best water is. Some people like really fancy filters. Uh, some people like alkaline water. Some people like a certain bottled water. To me, in everything I do on the physical realm, I go back to nature and I go back to evolution. I'm not like a huge paleo guy or even an expert in that philosophy or way of eating. But it sort of makes sense to me that we want to go back to the successful things that we've done to end up where we are and to cease doing some of the things that have led to the degradation of our health and our consciousness as a species, such as everything encompassing domestication like lighting and EMFs and sedentary lifestyle and all of that. So what water did we drink and what water did we bathe in to get us where we are? The good DNA that we still have, what little there is left, right? <laughs> We were drinking spring water. A lot of us don't realize that the best water on the planet literally just comes out of the earth. And now there's something that's been discovered and it's gotten some more attention within the realms of hard science. It's called primary water. Primary water is water that the earth literally produces. It's the most godly thing imaginable to me that the planet, you know how the planet kind of makes lava? Like the Hawaii, my VA lives in Hawaii and it's like, oh, I'm off grid for three days, volcanic ash, really annoying. Tati, I'm sorry for listening, but <laughs> I feel for her. I'm compassionate for her, not really. I'm like, let's get the podcast out. But the earth does a lot of crazy things, and one of the things that it produces in and of itself by the divine nature of the unseen hand is it makes water. So there's water that's never been through the hydrological cycle. There's also water that was once on the surface of the earth and then has gone back through the cycle and comes back up out of the earth, right? Through clouds and rain and snow and mountains and all those types of things. But what I'm after is the primary water. That's the chronic water. That's the water that's never seen the surface of the earth. It's never been exposed to industrial uh, waste, nuclear testing, any of that. It's really the nectar, I mean, it's literally the nectar of the gods. And so, how does one find this water? One can get extreme and can go get it yourself. There's a site called findaspring.com that will locate springs all around the world for you. It's user-generated, doesn't cost money. You can go find a spring and log it on there for other people to enjoy. I've put a couple on there myself and then later met people down the road. They're like, dude, I found that spring in Tahoe that you put on Find a Spring. It's cool, it's a great community. Uh, my friend Daniel Vitalis founded that site years ago. He's one of the guys that I really, I didn't learn about spring water for him. I remembered about it. Because when I was a kid, my grandmother and my dad used to take me to collect spring water. That's like normal to country folk. It's funny, if you're like a hippie like me, and you go out to a rural area, and you ask the local farmers or cowboys or whatever, like, hey, I'm into the spring water thing, where's the spring? To them, it's nothing. They're like, yeah, it's right down there, like mile marker six. Why would you go there? We just... We water the horses there, what's the big deal? And I'm like, you don't get it, it's primary water, man. It's the nectar of the gods. And they're just like, okay, kid, where are you from again? But it's a really magical thing. So uh, I have a hierarchy of water document that I created just because I'm so passionate about it. Um, you can find it, you guys probably don't want to get out your phones right now. Fuck it, get out your phones. If you have a US phone, get out your phone and I'll tell you, I'll text you my, um, guide to water that has all the links and stuff because you're going to be like, okay, how do I do this if you're interested? So grab your phone and if you have a US phone, just do what I say and uh, you can write it down even. There's a, a one word code that you're going to text and open up your text app 
and you're going to text one word, the water guide, to the number 44222. And then it'll prompt you to enter your name and email, and you can download my water guide. It's a really beautiful PDF that I created just to teach people about all the different types of bottled water, what I think the best filters are, about alkaline water, RO, distilled water, how to find spring water, what companies sell the best spring water, all that stuff. So you can text that and get that. It's going to add you to my email list, of course. But if you don't like it, just unsubscribe after you get the PDF. That's what I usually do. No, my email list is dope. All I'm going to do is send you like, hey, I have a new podcast. This is what it's about. I don't... Oh, I didn't tell you. I said the number, didn't I? 44222. So the word is the water guide. The number is 44222. All one word. Yeah, if you split it up, it's case sensitive. The water guide. All right. Just write it down if you don't feel like texting it or whatever. But it's a really valuable resource. And it, like I said, I mean, I've spent literally years putting all of these links and really studying all the water companies and uh, which bottled water is the worst plastic and which ones make the best plastic. I mean, there's a lot to it. And I just scratched the surface. I could write a whole book about just water. But that's the number one biohack, you guys, because your blood is made of water. Your cells are around 97% water. Basically, what we are is a bag of water. If you die and you choose to get cremated, do you know what's left over? A little bucket of ashes about this big, like carbon or something. Where do the rest of you go? Or what, you know, the rest of your meat soup? It evaporates in the fire, and it was once water. I guess it becomes steam, right? You, like, literally turn into steam. Weird shit. <laughs> so quality water, number one. This Brita filter stuff is not happening. If you get a letter from the city of LA, WDWP, whatever, and it's like, hey, here's our annual water report. We found out the water's safe. Are you really going to trust the government with your cells, your blood? I mean, honestly, like, no offense, government. I know you're watching, man. But <laughs> yeah. Don't drink New World Order water, man. But really. Okay, so the water thing. Next up. The more I study this stuff on the physical plane, again, on the biohacking, the more I find that the number one thing that's working against us is EMFs. And this is kind of a buzzword now, and more people are becoming aware of that. But I don't think many of us realize how bad it actually is. And it's a rabbit hole that, like water, is almost endless. And there's a lot of different opinions from all of the scholars and all the scientists. There's a lot of uh, uh, propaganda from the telecommunications multinational corporations that are producing the technology that we all know and love. So it's almost like considered a conspiracy theory. If you question 5G, if you question your smart meter, uh, there's a lot of counter information there, mostly false, that indicates that these devices and all of these frequencies that are surrounding us are safe. But again, are you going to trust the people selling you the stuff or trust the brave citizens that are doing studies and the scientists that, you know, uh, have the courage to stand up against the big tech companies and really do hard science research to find out what this stuff does? On the other side of that is like, you got to live your life because the paranoia of like, oh my God, am I in EMFs? will probably give you f cancer faster than the EMFs, you know? So it's like, oh God, do I worry about it or not? Worrying, I don't think, is healthy, but building an awareness, I believe, is very healthy. 
So there are times when I'm in a situation in which I'm surrounded by EMFs. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's just Wi-Fi, all the electricity and all the walls in every building you're in, uh, magnetic stress coming from things with uh, motors in them and things like that. Like, this place is amazing, but it's probably an EMF disaster because just you have to have EMFs to produce things that are use electricity for power. I mean, it's kind of unavoidable at this point, although I think we'll hack it. So that's what EMFs are. So without being paranoid, it's really important to uh, find out where the different hot spots are and to understand how to limit your time in those spots. And in some cases, there are things that you can actually do to change it. Uh, what I have come to at this point, after having interviewed a number of PhD scientists on my show about this uh, specific issue, is that rather than spending however many hundreds of dollars you spend a month on supplements, like literally save up for six months, hire an EMF home mitigation specialist, have them come in and test your whole house, find out where the hot spots are in your house, and stay away from those spots. Or you can incorporate different shielding techniques. There's paints, there's fabrics, there's all kinds of weird stuff where you can actually protect at least the inside of your home. There's also some devices I recently got uh, called Blue Shield. Unfortunately, that's also the name of an insurance company, so it's very confusing. <laughs> the company's from New Zealand, so I don't think they realize what a conflict that name <laughs> creates. But I have one actually in my pocket. It's, it's totally a different conversation, but there are things you can use not to block EMFs, um, but to drown out the signal. And that's what this Blue Shield stuff does. You can put them in your house. I have one in my car. But really, the ultimate hack is, and I, I honestly think this is the number one thing, especially if you're sick, if you have an autoimmune disease or anything like that, is you have to get your sleep environment protected. So you hire someone who's a specialist to come in, right? They get out their $10,000 worth of little beeping devices. Oh, man, your bed is really a bummer. And then what they're going to recommend, if they're worth their salt and if they're up to speed with the latest technology, is that you use shielding paint and you shield your entire bedroom, all of the walls, and then you get shielding curtains and you, just, you can just have them sewn onto the back of your curtains and you cover your windows. And then there's this mesh you put on the floor, especially under the bed. And then what you do is you turn your whole bedroom into a Faraday cage. And a Faraday cage is a place where no fields are able to get in or out. And so that creates essentially what would have been a natural sleeping environment pre-1850 or whenever we started with this electricity business, you know? So if nothing else, I highly recommend, and I'm, I'm going to do this soon myself, I'm, I'm going to practice what I preach, of course, but I'm in the process of looking at moving into a place that has less EMFs, because I live in the middle of the damn city, and it's just insane. So once I get out into the woods in Topanga or wherever I end up next, that's going to be my number one thing. Like, I don't need a big screen TV. I don't need a new $3,000 sofa that looks awesome on Instagram. I don't need any of that shit. I want a room that's like sleeping in the woods in 1820. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Because if you're going to stop EMFs in one place at one time, it should absolutely be when you're sleeping because that's when your body is detoxing and regenerating from all of the exposure to all of the stressors that we're exposed to out in the world. So there's no need to be paranoid. Just create a sanctuary in your bedroom where you and any other living beings are protected at least for that ideally eight to nine hours a day you're spending in that room, right? And I think that that is really the number one hack. Uh, the next thing, 
again, not something to be paranoid about, but something that we're largely unaware of still. Maybe this crowd is a little more hip. I see some, some red and orange glasses in here. By the way, shout out to my buddy Maddie back there from Raw Optics. He made my, uh, where's my custom glasses here? They're prescription glasses and he had them made for me. People always think I'm just like a pretentious douche guy that wears my sunglasses at night. Nothing against you if you do that, but I get a lot of shit from people. But these were sunglasses and I kind of liked the frames. They were sort of Elton John-esque, you know, <laughs> whatever. And so I, I had prescription lenses put in, the special plastic, sent them to Matt and he had them dipped. And so now they're blue blockers and prescription. Oh my God, you guys just got so much prettier. <laughs> You're all in focus now. But it's not quite dark out, so I don't put these on. But the blue light thing, it's not, it's not a trend. It's not like, oh, it's just the health buzzword right now. No, this is a real thing. It's super effed up. When your circadian rhythm is out of alignment with nature, it has a cascade effect that's extremely uh, deleterious to all of your health. It affects your hormones, your neurotransmitters, of course, your sleep. It's really, really gnarly. So what I've done without, again, being paranoid, and I go live my life. Sometimes I don't wear the freaking glasses and I go to the movies and I live the dream, whatever. I mean, you got to choose your battles. But I have habituated myself for the most part that when it gets dark outside, it just, it clicks in my mind, oh, it's dark. So wherever I am inside is also going to be dark. It doesn't have to be dark to where I can't see. It's going to be devoid of blue light like these lights. Does that make sense? So what I've done in my home is I've installed bulbs that are red or amber all over the whole place. And at night, I just like, I don't hit certain switches. I just know which switches are the bright blue lights and which switches are the amber and red lights. So I have like daytime lights and I have nighttime lights. It's super simple. And once you habituate yourself to habits like that, it's actually not a hassle. It's not a big deal. Just like being aware of EMFs and learning to live without Wi-Fi in your house like I've done is really easy. I got an ethernet cable, ran that thing out from my, what do you call that, router or modem or something, right? In the office closet, kind of a pain in the ass. Ordered on Amazon though, ta ta ta, nailed in the little things and now it comes up between the couch cushions. There's like an ethernet cable with an adapter for my MacBook and is it a hassle? Yeah, a little bit, but I get used to it. Like imagine when you didn't have internet. If someone's like, hey, you can connect to the whole world, but downside is you have to have this cable that comes up in your couch and you have to plug it into a computer. There was a time we'd be like, oh my God, I'll plug in 10 cables, connect me. But we get spoiled. So the EMFs, the blue light, the water, on the topic of light and blue light, we've all been brainwashed or most of us have, and some of us have undone that brainwashing, that that thing out there in the sky, that hot ball of fire kills you and causes cancer. I have the view, more like an Egyptian, that that thing is a part of God and it's there for a reason. And that thing I'm referring to is the sun. I am quite literally a sun worshiper. I mean, I don't like ask the sun, like, hey, should I get divorced, sun? Not that kind of God, but it's the source of all energy and all fuel. I just met a really woke dude next door at Bulletproof Coffee, Bulletproof Cafe, rather. And his friend was like, oh yeah, you're homeboy. He's, you were like, yeah, you should come to this talk. It's a cool thing. He's got this podcast. And he was like, sounds cool, but I have to go sun gaze barefoot on the beach. That's my thing. And I was like, word, I'll skip my talk and go with you. <laughs> he gets it. Sun gazing in and of itself goes back, I mean, it's, prehistory in India. It's part of the 
Ayurvedic system of life, which is perhaps the oldest quote-unquote medical system in recorded history that we're aware of. Again, the Egyptians worshiped the sun. Human beings way back when realized the sun is the giver of life, not the bringer of death. We've been brainwashed primarily by whom? Do you know who we've been brainwashed by mostly? Companies that sell sunscreen. <laughs> it's, such, it's like the cosmic joke because sunscreen actually gives you cancer for two reasons. One is that it's full of chemicals that are known carcinogens, right? And secondarily, it blocks, and I forget which one, maybe someone can school me, it blocks UVA or UVB. Do you know, Maddie? It blocks UVA and UBV. So essentially, when you put sunscreen on your body, what happens is it diffuses and scrambles the frequency of light that hits your skin and your eyes. And your skin is a huge, giant photoreceptor. That's why these amazing devices, the Juve, are so powerful and so amazing. I have one of those at home. I'm working on the whole surround sound version of it. I like, I like it. You can put two more and just be like, ah, in the cocoon. Well, they have the bed here, right? The red light bed. So that's taking a frequency of the sun, a very specific frequency of red light, which is present in nature and concentrating it to make up for the discrepancies of our lifestyle, essentially. But uh, the sun is what gives us energy. It, it's, it's like, it's the thing. And sunscreen scrambles those frequencies. And so when that hits your skin, and same with sunglasses and even being behind glass, anything that blocks the sun scrambles that information, that data from the sun, and our bodies go, what the hell is that? That's now something that we don't recognize. Isn't that simple? I mean, it makes total sense. It's just right back to nature. And so what I encourage people to do is to rebuild their relationship with the sun, and there are ways to do it safely. If you're someone who's fair-skinned, you can, and you know, don't sue me or anything, I have a medical disclaimer here. <laughs> Someone comes back with third degree burns, you said the sun was safe. <laughs> I have a homeboy who is super ginger, just covered in freckles, bright red, red hair, and he has acclimated himself to be out in the sun with the rest of us kind of olive Mediterranean homies, which a few of my friends are, and he rolls right with us up to a certain point. After a little while, he's like, whoa, and he dips back under the whatever, gets in the shade, and he's like, he knows his threshold, but he's pretty much neck and neck. Now, he didn't do that in one day, he did that incrementally. He rolled it out slowly, slowly, maybe it's five minutes on the first day, and he's like, whoa, 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 a little hot. You know, the next day, 10 minutes, next week, 15, and on and on and on, right? And now the guy is the picture of health, and I bet his vitamin D levels are through the roof if he were to test them. So no matter what your skin tone, you can acclimate to the sun. It is possible. And if you're someone that has darker pigmented skin, like if you're African-American or from India or anywhere, and your skin's darker than mine, your ass needs to be out in the sun double time. This is the root of hypertension and heart disease, and then they give you the medications for that, which end up causing your kidneys to fail, especially if you're a really dark-skinned person. I would never live anywhere away from the equator. My business partner's dad, very dark-skinned black guy, and he lives in D.C., and his whole health journey has been exactly what I just described. Never gets in the sun. There's not much sun in D.C., but guess what? He came from a lineage of people that are out in the sun all goddamn day for thousands and thousands of years. And then for whatever reason, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yes, 
They're feeling it right there. They're, they've been getting sun. That's why they're happy. But that's what happened. He got the hypertension, whatever shit. They put him on statins. Now he's on dialysis. And, you know, if, what am I going to do? Go, hey, man, you just need more sun, bro. Like, it's too late. Because he's been indoctrinated into the medical system. If he went to his allopathic Western doctor, and I'm sure he goes to some very qualified, highly intelligent doctors, but they're not trained to look at nature. They're trained to sell pres prescription drugs, and they're trained to provide surgery, and they're trained to help people with the problem once the problem has already happened. They're not trained to reverse the problem. And that's what we're really talking about with biohacking is it's like your body's a, a car, and you're becoming your own mechanic. I don't very often have to take my car to the mechanic because I kind of figured out how most of it works and I fix it. And if it really breaks down, it's making a ding, ding noise that I can't seem to locate or fix, then last resort, I go to the doctor. But he's, he's he, you know, hopefully he's not a goner. Hopefully they're able to help him. I mean, God bless him. I, I would hope that he finds some sort of intervention that works. But I truly believe that the root of his problem is that he left the sun at some point. Yeah, thank you. Well, is that, you should set a timer for each section for me. <laughs> That'd be really be great. Unintentional. That is a good uh, note that I should move on. So you guys feel me? What I'm saying here can be summarized with this, is that the problems that we face physically, which of course then lead to emotional and mental and spiritual degeneration as a result of our health failing, because we lack the energy to bring our higher selves into the world, I believe are mostly rooted in our disconnection from nature, period. Now, I live in LA. I'm not that connected to nature. To me, it's like cost-to-benefit ratio. I love being around my tribe. I love the city. I love the convenience. I love the action. I love being close to here so I can come do a talk. If I lived in Idaho and these guys said, hey, you want to do a talk? It's a whole drama to do that. You know, I can't just go to lunch with someone. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit too much of a push, so... What I do is I try to integrate nature into my lifestyle and still live in the city. So I have my cell phone in my pocket for my notes. You know this shit's on airplane. I'm not going to fry the testes with this situation while I'm talking. I don't need the phone on right now. See what I mean? So little incremental habits like that to just not be paranoid, not be, you know, um, even with the food, what do they call that? Uh, it's an eating disorder. Orthorexic. I've done all that stuff. And so I'm here to tell you, like, yo, I survived, you guys. Like, don't do what I did. Don't be paranoid. But you still, I think, if you want to be healthy, you have to take action. And action is what would nature do? Which, to me, equates to what would creation do? What would God do? Like, how are things innately designed? And where have we gone astray? And how can I just take little steps to get back to that? We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. I'd like to remind you to get over to lukestory.com forward slash store. That's where you're going to find a collection of links to every single product that I recommend to keep yourself young and healthy. So whether it be a supplement to help you sleep, whether it's some biohacking technology, blue blocking glasses, blue blocking light, every single herb you could ever want to know about under the sun. It's all at lukestory.com forward slash store. I've gotten so many requests over the past couple years for my top picks. I just decided to put them all in one place. So at lukestory.com forward slash store, 
you will find links and in many cases, really sweet discount codes on every single product that I've ever tried and still believe in or even products that I'm still using to this day. So get over to lukestory.com forward slash store. Do your shopping there. You're going to save yourself a lot of hours of arduous research. I've done the work for you. I've vetted every single thing on the site and I believe it is the best of the best, the cream of the crop. So get over there and check it out. It's a great way to save yourself some time and money and also a great way to support the podcast. That's lukestory.com forward slash store. He gets it. Okay, now I'd like to kind of move out of the physical and I want to talk a bit about mindset. And I've alluded to this because, of course, when you're paranoid about your environment and everything you eat and all that, you become mentally ill. It's a mental illness. They, they made a joke out of it on that show, uh, Better Call Saul. Did anyone see that? The tinfoil hat guy. Really pissed me off that they did that because it illegitimized the actual real concerns around EMFs and they made kind of a joke of it. Good show, kind of a shitty message. But that's an extreme example of the other end of that where a lot of that is just placebo and it's in his head and he's, just, he's driving himself crazy being so paranoid. So the mind is really something that I think is also worth giving some attention to because it's something that I've worked on so deeply and profoundly and still continue to do to this day. And that is something that is often referred to as mindfulness and it includes meditation. And I'm going to talk about how some of those things have benefited me. I'm sure some of you are doing them. But at the end of the day, what I've found out in my life is that most of my experience is created by the thoughts that I have about it. It's not what happens in my life. It's literally my reaction to it, my contextualization of it, my interpretation of it. It's the stories that the mind tells you about what just happened. They did this thing. It's bothering me. Why? Because I have all these ideas about why they did that and what that means. Totally not based in reality. I just interviewed one of my all-time favorite spiritual teachers named Byron Katie. And she's made a 30-plus year career out of just simply questioning the thoughts that come out of the mind. Thoughts such as, they didn't answer my email because they think I'm a worthless loser. (laughs) Is that true? Well, it seems true. Where am I getting that information from? It's being generated by my mind. That person just cut me off, and they have a nicer car than me. They probably cut me off because they think they're better than me, because they have a newer car. Really? I mean, this is the kind of shit that I think of. (laughs) The mind creates everything, because what happens is, I have a thought about something, and the mind runs with something. You know, it's like throwing a ball for the dog. It's just off. Something triggers the mind and triggers thought, and then the mind just runs with that. Yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. Without the ability to question one's thoughts, the mind takes off with that, and then what happens is that starts to get verbalized. You know what? My mind does stuff like this. You know what? Fuck that guy. <laughs> you know? It's just, I just start having negative thoughts about something or someone or myself. And there's no basis in it. But then I start to talk about it to my friends. Oh, you know what so-and-so did? I just start bitching and complaining. But the bitching and complaining about reality as a whole, and maybe specific instances within that reality, is that 
it's mostly just my mind talking to me, and then I start to verbalize that and give those thoughts energy. And then what happens is those thoughts actually get force and momentum behind them to where I really start to ingrain them in my consciousness and believe them. Then I start taking action. You know what? I'm actually going to email them back. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> when I start like getting in the vengeful email, whoa, I know I got to step back because I'm believing a story that my mind is telling me. And those stories can be about my family system. They can be about any type of relationship, professional relationship. The mind creates my whole reality because from the seed of that thought comes the speech and then comes the action. And then that becomes who I am because I'm habituated into behaving according to whatever that thought and belief was. And that's the recipe for a really crappy life. Because then I'm at the mercy of anything this freaking garbage pail up here creates. So I don't question it. So if that's true, and if anyone can identify with that in their own experience, how then does one create some separation and a gap between the thought happening and me just going, oh, my mind said the thing, now I'm doing the thing. Like, how do you not engage and get caught? How do you not get hooked? And what's helped me with this, after having just created an understanding that, wow, my mind is a really bad neighborhood. I need to really be careful to not walk through there alone, you know? Because <laughs> I come from a long line of really crazy people. God bless them. I used to be really mentally ill, you know? And I'm not making light of that. Some people, I'm sure, have worse mental illnesses than mine, but I was really, really dysfunctional and crazy for a long time. So how do you get that gap of separation? And for me, there are, there are many ways, such as mindfulness, of just that awareness, as I'm talking about, but really the key into that kingdom is meditation. And meditation, thank God, is another one of those buzzwords, kind of like blue light. Meditation, meditation. Wall Street people are doing it. Silicon Valley people are doing it. The biohackers are doing it. The hippies have been doing it forever. The yogis have been doing it forever. Now it's proliferating into Western culture in mass, which is amazing. But I think there are still a lot of people based on feedback that I get through my website, listeners to my podcast, people that I meet on the street that say, yeah, the meditation thing sounds cool, but it's too hard. I don't know how to do it. It's not accessible to me. I'm not one of those people that can meditate. And I used to have that experience. Not because I couldn't meditate or didn't have the inherent capacities to do so, but because I had erroneous preconceived ideas about what meditation actually is. I thought it was sitting there and forcing your mind to be quiet. If that's your interpretation and experience of meditation, you are going to hate it because <laughs> you can't stop the mind from producing thoughts. That's what the mind is built to do. That would be akin to sitting down in a chair and go, okay, I'm going to make my heart stop beating. Okay, stop. <laughs> it's not going to happen. When I learned Vedic meditation, and that's just my path, there are, you know, countless technologies within the teachings of meditation through the ages that I'm sure are valid and work. I tried a lot of them, all the books, all the apps, all the visualizations, all the things for about 15 years. And it helped me. It was good. It was a start. But once I found like an actual practice and I got trained in that practice to where now I have a technique, there's a thing I sit down and I do. I don't just sit down and go, yeah, I guess I'm meditating. Yeah, this is kind of the thing. Well, this is annoying. Fuck this. And stop. I sit down and I have a thing that I do. 
It's a thing. I have a practice. There's a sequence of actions that you take internally. It's super simple. In fact, we could kind of do it right now. Maybe we'll do it. You guys want to meditate real quick? Yes. Okay, cool. So, again, to frame the purpose of why one would want to take their valuable time and sit there and just, quote, unquote, do nothing. Like, why do that? When I could be crushing some projects, I could be running some errands, I could be doing anything. I could be binging Netflix, I could be obsessing on the dopamine hits from refreshing my Instagram. There's so many fun things to do besides meditation. All of those things, by the way, are my alternate (laughs) pastimes, reluctantly. Why would one do that? Again, it's to create that separation. Because in a true practice of meditation, what's possible, and it's possible this fast for anyone, is to see that there's a thought and there's someone watching the thought. Who's the one sitting in meditation going, huh, wow, I can't stop thinking. Look at all these thoughts. Who's the one watching all the thoughts? Who's the one? That's the one that I need to have a relationship with. That's the one that's going to guide my life. That's my true self, my higher self. It's not that I have a spirit or have a soul. That's what I am. That's what each one of us is, is a spirit, kind of stuck in this really whack machine called a body. I mean, God bless it. I I love the body, God, thank you, and everything. But seriously, these things are a pain in the ass. That's why we need all this stuff. But there's someone else beside the personality, the ego, the emotions, the thoughts. There's someone else in there who's watching that. As I give this talk here to you guys, there's a me that's watching me do this little personality fun thing, the entertaining, hopefully inspiring Luke thing. I'm watching that happen. Might sound psychotic. Please no one call, you know, <laughs> call, call the authorities. You know. I don't have dual personalities. It's that witness consciousness, right? So with the meditation practice, and we'll just do a little taste, just, you know, for some of you that haven't had the experience, it might be meaningful for those of you that are like, yeah, duh, I get it, been meditating forever, cool. Then you'll just be like, oh, finally, I can stop listening and meditate. But what meditation truly does, I believe, when you have a practice, when you're trained, is it creates a larger and larger and more distant gap between the one watching and the phenomenon we call living life. And when that gap becomes ongoing, it builds into your life in a way where there's almost no separation between the time in the chair meditating and going out and doing the world stuff. Because that witness is still there watching you. Oh man, I'm going to be late. Uh, Oh, the phone call, uh, the breakup, the thing, the that. You're still watching it, even though you're engaged in it. Does that make sense? This is the key to not being at the effect of our environment and our feelings and our thoughts. Because frankly, when that's what I think I am, for me, life sucks so bad. Because I have a thought and I go, yeah, that's true. Now I'm just going to feel all weird about that. And then, you know, it's just like that rumination thing. Think, feel, think, feel, think, feel. You get triggered by something and there's no escape. You're like, oh, it got me. Something almost got me this morning. Actually, yeah, it was like a text uh, app uh, message from the team. And I should have meditated, you know, I don't want to shoot on myself, but 
In an ideal situation, let me change the verbiage on that, I would have meditated, which I do usually before I do anything. I definitely don't do email before meditating. Oh my God, I would be psychotic. I would burn down my whole life in a week because I'd be reactionary. I wouldn't be able to witness, oh, I just got triggered by the thing they said in the email and now I'm afraid and now I'm going to react and punish them and, you know, the whole game. But I checked this app and there was one sentence in there that I didn't like. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Watch this. And I swear to God, I got in the shower. I was like, oh, I'll type this and then that and then that. But just because of the practices, I could see, all right, what are you doing? And I could see, I want to hurt them. I want to hurt this person. I want to make them feel bad. Like, that's called being honest with yourself. No, that's the truth. Mr. Spiritual, oh, yeah, lifestyle is, no, I want to fuck people up when they irritate me. <laughs> Most of the time I don't do it because of that gap of separation. Like, ah, I see the thing unfold and I go, oh, my God, I'm up to it again. Then what the mind, then what the ego will do is go, oh, I thought you're supposed to be spiritual. That's the other side of that. It's like the witness observes something, then the ego observes the witness observing, and it goes, see, you haven't made any progress. You're still in your ego. It's a tangled web we weave. <laughs> That's another talk, you know? It's, a, it's an offshoot. So let's take a moment and see if we can get in that place where we're able to watch the phantasmagoria called the mind. Not to demonize the mind, not to demonize thoughts, not to demonize ego, demonize instincts, demonize being human. It's beautiful. The whole game is beautiful if we can learn how to master it. So what I'd like to invite you to do, if you'd like to, if not, you can just chill, text your friends, whatever. Live stream this, tag me. Uh, what you can do is just close your eyes and take a moment and just take three or four or five real chill, deep breaths. And then I want to play this game called, what's my next thought going to be? Ask yourself right now that question, and then stay calm, cool, collected, and watch what that thought is. That thought might have been, how long are we going to do this for? <laughs> how long is this talk? Or that thought might have been, oh my God, this is amazing, what a great night. The nature of the thought is irrelevant. The idea is to see that there's a you watching the thought. So let's do it one more time. I wonder what my next thought is going to be. <laughs> it's amazing. As I'm doing that with you guys, it's so fun to see how long the gap can be before the next thought comes. I just had a really nice gap. I think you guys are giving me really intense vibes in a positive sense. Because I went to this place instantly where all I hear is the things, the AC thing. It was like, oh my God, how many of you didn't notice that noise earlier? Yeah, why? Because you're listening to me and I'm making noise and I'm engaging your attention, but it's because most of us are going, da, 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 I got to do the thing, I got to the email, da, da, what time da, 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 you know, is the mind's going? It's just being that beautiful, busy, computing mind doing what it does. The CPU is just cranking. But when you stop and ask yourself, what's my next thought going to be? At times, there'll be a really long gap, and a long gap is probably one ten thousandth of a second, but it feels like an hour 
if you're someone who lives in a world where your mind is nonstop, it doesn't stop. And then what you can do is say, I wonder what my next thought is going to be. And you can go back. This is a gateway, a, a portal, an entry point into the concept of meditation and kind of taking a shortcut to the point, which is how can I be the one observing all of this instead of always being the one that's caught up in the cyclone of thoughts and feelings? How can I get in touch with that? Not, it's not even a part of me. How can I get in touch with capital T, the me, that's actually in control and has dominion over all that? And if I can do that sitting for just a couple minutes a day, then I can look at my time. Oh, it's been 20 minutes. Okay, wow, I got to get going. Da, 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 da. Then I can maybe answer that email and notice when I want to punish or notice when I'm afraid or notice when I'm feeling ashamed because they didn't give me what I wanted. They don't like me. They're rejecting me. All of those totally normal human things that a lot of us are at the mercy of. And then maybe in traffic, I see my mind go, no, no, don't let the guy in. You're going to be late. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Where did that thought come from? Am I really going to be late? No, not at all. Okay, gas station polar outer, go ahead. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you do that, you're like, nah, I want to let him in, but I can't. I just got to go. You know? So much easier to have that response to life when there is that separation, when I'm in touch with what I really am. And then life becomes more so about who I am and the energy that I'm sharing and producing in the world than it is about what I do. The weird flip side of that, in my experience, is the more I really focus on what I can become and who I am as a person, as a man, as someone who is creating positive energy out in the day-to-day -day life of the world, is that the more that's reflected back to me, and it's almost as if I live in this alternate alternate universe where every person I meet like keeps eye contact with me and has this big heart space and is just loving and kind and open and everywhere I go everyone's like yeah go dude go and they let me in I mean you really do create and manifest your reality out of the thoughts out of the gap of separation out of performing from that true self that sort of angelic higher self the soul and this is when life gets really fun Life's really fun that way because when I make a dumbass mistake, which I make every 30 minutes or so, I don't take it so seriously. You know, there's not so much self-shaming and condemnation because there's not so much of that going outward toward other people. You know, it's like, oh man, everyone is literally doing the very best they can. Even the most evil perpetrators you can imagine in the world that have harmed you or others, as evil as they may be at a certain point of compassion, which is possible, with these practices, I know that while I don't condone their evil behavior, that they're literally doing the best they can. And there's someone who's been captured by this thing, and they don't know there's any other reality. That's someone who's unconscious, you know? So a practice like meditation leads to a spiritual awakening where who and what I really am comes alive. And I can sit here in front of you guys and not be afraid and not be all weirded out and just have fun, be free. You know, I used to smoke crack to be free, straight up. I used to do heroin to be free. I mean, I had to go to those lengths to just like, uh, not feel like this in my body and in my mind. Had to be so anesthetized. Now, stone cold sober, man, like a judge, just 
Nada. I mean, some, you know, nootropics and stuff. <laughs> Bulletproof products. <laughs> Not mind-altering in the sense of, you know, like, crack, but I optimize, you know what I'm saying? Within the confines of uh, what you would call sobriety or recovery. But I just say that to emphasize to you that those extremes of escapism and avoidance and numbing of pain, whether you know drugs are your thing or shopping or sex or being codependent, addicted to other people, like any of the disorders and neuroses that we humans tend to suffer from that are not only destructive, destructive to our own lives, but to those that we relate to, those tend to become obsolete as a result of that spiritual awakening that these practices bring about. I tried to quit smoking cigarettes for like 15 years. The day I quit trying to smoke, I just quit. It's like, what? How does that work? Because it wasn't necessary to smoke anymore because I felt content in my body. I, I was okay with who I was. I didn't need to be like every five minutes like, ah, God, a feeling happened. You know, it's like feelings, let's go. Right now, whatever feeling emerges as I'm hanging out with you guys, I'm totally cool with that. I'm not afraid of a feeling anymore because of the practice of mindfulness and that intimacy, that relationship with myself. There's a lot here, but it's like hard to pick which thing I'm more passionate about because I've gotten so much out of all of these practices and all of this expansion. You know, I'm just like, I'm on fire with it and I love to share it. So it's really hard even to pick sometimes. It's almost more fun to do a talk when someone's like, hey, here's this narrow, uh, these narrow confines of what we want you to talk about. You know, can you do the talk on the water thing? Yeah, cool. You've got 45 minutes. It's easier to do that than just let me pick because there's just so much. But in commitment, to what I put together, I'll do one more small piece on the mind and then we'll go a little bit into the spirit. Because once you tame the mind, what's left is spirit. And so I can't leave that out. And we'll, we'll close on that and try to do it in a reasonable amount of time. And then we'll take some you know, questions if there are any. If there aren't, we'll just hang out and chill. The last thing I'd like to recommend in terms of the mind is when that separation begins to occur, and I'm sure for many of us present, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you live a lot of the time in that state of separation where you're not at the mercy of your mind. But what I'd like to recommend as an intro practice for a novice of this whole thing, or even someone who's quite advanced and has been meditating for years, is a concept that I call negativity fasting. So in the world of health and biohacking, many of us know about water fasting, juice fasting, cleansing, right? Well, I'm on uh, a never-ending fast, there's no time period, to cleanse my mind from negative thoughts and also speaking negativity. Because left to my own devices, I'll complain about everything in my mind because my mind interprets an uncomfortable feeling as a problem that needs to get solved. So it's going to assign judgment and blame to everything that it sees out there. It's just what it does. What I like to do is be in observance of that negativity. Like, why is that bus so loud? Can't they, can't they make a bus that's like not as loud? God, that's so stupid. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I think about. Everything irritates me. It does, especially if I haven't had good sleep. But that gap's there. So I go, ah, that's yeah. My mind's like bitching about the bus, like bitching about reality. That's called reality. If you don't like the bus, Luke, move to where there are no buses. <laughs> so then I'll have the thought and I'll say, dude, don't buses suck? We're so much better than buses. 
the stupid bus designers. And that's another ego attachment is being better than the bus. Like complaining about rain to the ego. It's like, yeah, I'm superior to the rain. Oh, rain sucks. I hate rain. I used to say that all the time. Now I love rain. Rain's amazing. I wish we had more of it. But it's that fasting from negative thoughts. But that's only possible if there's an awareness that there's a me and there's a thought. Does that make sense? So I'd like to challenge each and every one of us, especially myself included. I definitely don't have this master, but I've gotten a lot better to really be aware of any thought that's judgmental of reality and frames whatever's happening in reality, including people, places, and things, as wrong, as negative, as it shouldn't be this way. Really just watch how many times during the day your mind's like, shouldn't be that way. It should be my way. And then watch how many times you verbalize that to the people around you. And if you notice you do that a lot, then you're the toxic one of your friends, not them. <laughs> because sometimes you get around people and you, know, you start noticing that they do that. But when you notice that you're doing it yourself, you're like, oh my God, I'm like the only one of the crew that bitches about everything. I've had that realization many times. And having fasted a lot on negativity, I also am acutely aware of when I get around people that don't do this practice and they just bitch about everything all the time. And it's really uncomfortable to be around people like that. Not that I'm judging them, they're, they're where they are, but it's like, I'm like, oh, how fast can I get away from these people? Because what'll happen is the magnetism of negativity will like, it's like the, you know, the gravitational pull, right? It's like, I try to resist, I try to resist. And then I'm like, I'm in, fuck those guys. Yeah, you know, and I'm just like, ah. And then I leave that situation and I have an emotional hangover. I'm like, ah, God, I was feeling awesome. Like I got my son, my spring water, I did the juve, went to Bulletproof Labs, I'm doing all the things. It's like, why am I feeling off? Oh, I just hung around a bunch of bitchy people that I call friends. But by and large now, me and most of the people in my inner circle, five or six people I hang around, we're all aware of this. And if one of us starts to get a little bit, you know, on the dark side, we're like, use the force, come back. (laughs) Come on, come back, come back. Oh yeah, wow, wow, wow. I almost got trapped. There's this vortex of mind, you know? So negativity fasting. Okay, let's move into the spirit and we'll just close out with this in the last few minutes. I mean, it's all the spirit, ultimately. But what I really want to touch on, and this is something I'm like, I'm super like tiptoe into this particular principle or practice. And I shouldn't because it's just me and it's my thing. I love it. But I also am always weary of turning people off because they might have a preconceived idea about what I'm talking about. And what I'm going to talk about is the practice of prayer. Now, anyone that's just like, okay, bye, I'm out. I hate church. My parents tried to get me to believe in God, whatever. When I'm talking about prayer, there's a multitudes of ways that I approach that particular practice. So how I contextualize prayer, for me, and if you are a religious person, like, I'm stoked, please tell me about it. So I find most people that are deeply religious are a lot happier than the rest of us who aren't, by and large, you know? I mean, you go to, I went to one of the mega churches down in Orange County, the, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, Rick Allen wrote a book, I forget what it's called. Saddleback, yeah. I went in there and I was like, church, this is corny. I went with my friends and I'm, I'm in there and I'm like, this music sucks, first off. <laughs> I'm not, this Christian rock is not happening. Like, do you guys have any gospel singers? Like, come on, this music blows. Uh, just my opinion, <laughs> negative opinion again. But I worked through it, and I was like, no, just chill, keep an open mind. And then I look around, and I'm like, uh, 
These people are super happy. <laughs> Not fake church happy. They seem really happy. There's families, there's smiles, there's love. And it was like, oh, my arrogant smart ass my whole life was like, religion is, uh, it's domestication, uh, you know, like a lot of old erroneous ideas about it that I've worked through. Now, I don't go to that church. I haven't joined a religion. I wouldn't consider myself Christian per se. I'm down with the teachings of Jesus. I'm down with all of it. It's all good. Bhagavad Gita, what do you got? Bring it on. If I find truth and it resonates and I can add it to my life, I'm down. But when I'm talking about prayer, I'm talking about that observer, that higher self, that soul self, that spirit self, living in a state of recognition that it is not separate from something out there in the sky called God, that it actually is an extension of that thing. It's only one thing. And this is part of the Vedic worldview, which is that consciousness is one container. It's one thing, and there's individual expressions of that consciousness. So in my life, prayer takes on many forms. One of the forms is happening right now. Has been happening ever since I walked in this room, and especially when I stood up on my black tape mark right here. That form of prayer is like, wow, I'm sitting here sharing space and energy with all of these little expressions of God. Every person here is a part of that field. And I'm lucky enough to have my trippy little <laughs> version of that. They called Luke's story October 29th, 1970 in Denver, Colorado. But I'm living a sense of prayer with you guys just standing here. Like I feel your hearts, I feel mine. I'm connected to my version of God which is a field of energy, for lack of a better term. You know, it's a, it's a source of power. It's a source of energy. It's like a generator that generates this ineffable quality of intelligence and love that has no limits and no bounds. And I could never begin to explain or understand. But if I can stay aware of that and I can have reverence for that and appreciation of that and just acknowledgement of the majesty of that reality, that I don't feel that sense of separation with my fellows or even with reality as a whole. So a living prayer to me is the most meaningful prayer. That's the prayer that changes things. That's the prayer where you can go into divorce proceedings or you know, a lawsuit, mitigation, is that what it is? Mediation, thank you. Mitigation's the EMF and mold thing, got it, okay. <laughs> Mediation, you know, tension. Just think of a tense situation. I swear to you guys, on the Bible, <laughs> I've gone into situations where I'm like, someone's going to get hurt. When this door closes with all of us in here, shit's going to go down. It's going to be ugly. And I go, no, no, no. There's a God. There's a thing. There's a thing. There's a love. There's a spirit. It's there. It's true. It's real. Let me just stay with that. And I sit down and I breathe and I love that other expression of consciousness that's sitting over there that, that my ego wants to strangle and kill the life out of. And I just pray, God bless them. God bless me. God help me. Where's the love? Where's the love here? And I can't even count the number of times I've been in a situation where there is no solution in sight. There's no resolution remotely possible. And by that application of a principle, 
like magic. Someone says, you know what? I don't think I've been seeing your point of view. Let me reconsider. What? What? I remember once I was audited. One of the three times. And (laughs) I used to be a freelancer, you know. Now I own a company, uh, so I'm not as at risk, but I was a freelancer in Hollywood. And so, uh, you know, you get creative with receipts and you try to, like, pay as little tax as possible if you're smart. So get audited, hire a lawyer. He kind of knows the way I live my life. He's aware of that, friend of a friend. He kind of gets some into the spirituality and all that. And we go into the IRS office in uh, El Segundo, I think it was. And I'm nervous. You know, they, at the time, they wanted what was a lot of money. They were like, I don't know, they wanted $8,000 or something more than what I had paid. You know, and I'm like, I don't get $8,000. I don't even have $8,000 in credit. So... Little nervous, but I know there's a solution to every problem, and the solution to every problem is a spiritual solution. It's not by force, it's by power, and the ultimate power is the power of God. So if I can bring the power of God, which is love, into the office with this a-hole auditor from the IRS, (laughs) I might just be able to transmute that situation. So I walk in, I start And I'm not brown-nosing, I'm not manipulating, I'm just like seeing that person as another human being that's doing their job. Their job is their computer goes ding, 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 look at these weird numbers on this return. Call this guy in, send him a letter, and I'm the guy, and I'm there, and he's the guy doing his job. I have compassion for the guy on one level. I'll never forget, his whole little cubicle was plastered in pictures of sailboats. He was obsessed with sailboats. So I walk in, I'm like, you like boats, huh? What is it about boats that you like? And he starts sharing his passion with me. I was like, that's cool, wow. I never realized that about boats. Anyway, back to the tax return. So we're going through the numbers. What's this, what's that? The credit card, the thing, the thing. I had him pull up my website. I was like, I know this is weird to you, but I'm a freelancer, I'm an artist, and we have to buy a bunch of stuff on our credit cards, then we return it. It gets crazy. It's like a very complicated sort of system we have. He's like, okay, I'm kind of getting it. But really the whole time, I'm just like, this is another human being doing his job. Love, love, love. My version of prayer, that living prayer. At the end of it, the $8,000 is like, he comes to the thing like, okay, well, I've decided here's what's up. I mean, we took a break. I think he comes back. All right, here's, here's the kind of conclusion of this talk. He says, well, uh, you're going to have to pay $165 for the administrative fees, you know, for having this meeting, basically. Like, we're not going to let you off for nothing. You took our time to comb through your receipts. And I was like, that's awesome, man. Thanks, Bill, or whatever. You know, I'm calling him by first name. We're chilling. He's just another piece of God, remember? And, you know, I'm just playing it cool. I'm happy. And then we walk out of there. I'll never forget my lawyer. We get in the elevator, and it's like he saw a ghost. He's been in a million of these things. You never win. They always find something, you know, especially with a guy like me back then. We're in the elevator, and he literally looks at me. This guy, Brett, he looks at me. He's like, bro, what the fuck did you just do? <laughs> I was like, I didn't do anything. That, that thing did. The unseen hand did. That great, mysterious, unnameable, unknowable thing did. I just allowed it to be in the room with us, you know? And there's been so many experiences like that. The next type of prayer, and and I'll close with this in a moment, is, is a communication type prayer. 
that's really the old school type. It's the type when I was a kid I would see in the movies. I was never taught to do it because no one in my family was religious, but I saw it in movies and on TV. And it's like, you kind of get on the, you know, next to your bed and you go like this, and you're on your knees and you're like, oh, father, blah, 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 thou, thy, all this weird biblical <laughs> language. I never got all of that. But I do my own version of that. It doesn't require any hand signals or anything. It's just, God, would you show me what to do? Would you be with me? Would you help me? That's always my prayer. Just like, help me to do the right thing. Help me to see the reality through the fog of the mind, through the fog of the ego, through the fog of my feelings. There's all this stuff in the way of me seeing what's really happening. Would you help me see truth? Would you help me see love? Would you help me handle this situation according to the highest good for everyone involved. It's not like, hey, God, so check it out. I could use a Porsche, a bevy of supermodels, uh, abs. Um, no, it's just, yo, my ideas, albeit sometimes are decent, but for the most part are very limited. And what I think I need, what I should have, what everyone else should have, my capacity for success in any given area, my dreams, my goals, my visions, they're valid. I have a will. I have things that I want. But to me, that intelligence that we sometimes call God probably has a better idea of what serves everyone <laughs> to the highest degree, more so than me in my limited perspective, right? So... It's an ongoing communication, but it's not in any given set time. It's just part of my life. It's someone I talk to. It's like having a shrink with me all the time. Hey, so check it out. Uh, I think I'm going to send this hateful email to these people. Is that a good idea? <laughs> you know? Questions like that. You know, should I do business with this person? Is this right? Does this feel good? Does this serve the highest good? Not just for me, but for the other party as well and for the people that we might serve or detract from in certain situations, you know? So it's, it's born out of really my own survival uh, through my recovery from addiction. And, and the prayer that changed my life, I always regret talking about because I get so touched by it, generally speaking. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's hard to talk and cry at the same time. But I was terribly afflicted. I was in bondage. I was trapped. I lived a life that was not of my own will. I was literally controlled by addiction. I mean, it just had me since I was, I mean, I'm not even kidding, this tall. It was just, I should probably start the talk with this. That would be like a real zinger. But it's a good ending. And I couldn't get out and I was trapped. And I was left with no options. You know, I tried everything according to my own resources, mixing, matching, you know, switching seats in the Titanic, as it was explained to me. Quit one thing for another thing and, you know, all that, the shell game of like addiction, switching from one to another. In the end, it was like, wow, I'm beat. I'm licked. I can't beat this. And the only real <laughs> good advice I was given was, hey, why don't you try prayer? It's like, seriously? How about some medication, <laughs> you know? I checked myself into this treatment center, and I'm 26 years old. I'm suicidal every day. 
I don't want to live anymore. I don't see any point. But there's this tiny, tiny spark of hope in my heart. And somehow, when that was suggested to me, that spark of an idea, that this prayer thing might not be something that those <laughs> jerks in religion do that's fake and phony and judgmental and condemns you to hell and all that stuff. Just Now let me just leave that aside. Maybe there's something to this because I'm sitting here after all the abuse I've done to myself at that point and my heart's still beating. I'm still breathing in and out. What is that life force? What is that power? What is that thing? And because I had no other options and I was just desperate enough, I prayed to that thing and my prayer was so simple. It was like, can you just set me free? Can you help me? I have a problem that I cannot fix at all. Whatever you are, wherever you are, here I am. I lay myself at your feet. Please help me. And that was February 15th, 1997. And from that moment until this moment standing in front of you, I've been free. You could call that coincidence. A skeptic could say, hey, I just got this amazing surge of willpower all of a sudden. I was like, I won't return the dealer's call. I don't think so. I think something really miraculous happened to me. And I've spent the last almost 22 years trying to really incorporate that same simple prayer into the rest of my life. So as I walk out here to begin this talk tonight, my ass is in the bathroom going, okay, God, it's not even the word God. It's just like, okay, so what am I supposed to do? How can I serve now? And then here's what we get. You know, so if you, if you didn't like it, blame God. <laughs> but this is what brings us to where we are. And I'll, and I'll end the talk with this. And, and I appreciate you guys. Oh, my God, shit. Such a long time. I'm sorry for those of you that, you know, we're expecting to be out of here sooner. But I'll close with this, is that all of the practices from the physical to the mental to the metaphysical and the spiritual all serve one purpose and one purpose only in my life and you're open to explore this for yourself, is that that's what gives me the capacity to be of service in the world and to be an entity, to be a single person that's able to spend a lot of my energy putting out and giving out rather than being in the confines of like, where's mine, where's mine, gimme, gimme, gimme. I don't live in a life of fear most of the time. I'm able to transmit and to share really amazing energy and discoveries with people because that's what I'm praying for is to be in touch with my highest self as much of the time as possible and to be able to use that energy that I'm cultivating to serve whoever is in front of me in whatever way seems the most wise and compassionate. And that in and of itself is the ultimate biohack, is a life of service to others. It's even documented in science. It's called the helper's high. I used that on my way over here. This guy called me. He really needed some help. He's in bad shape. And I'm not saying this to virtue signal. It's just what I did selfishly for myself. He's in really bad shape. And I'm like, ah, I'm too busy. I can't call this guy. And on the way over here, I was like, ah, I got to do this talk. I was like, what could really lock me in? I was like, call homeboy and help him. And I talked to him all the way over here and really helped him with some challenging problems, you know? And I got the helpers high. And then I come in here and I get to transmit all of the stuff that I've been cultivating. And that, to me, is a life worth living. So 
Thank you guys so much for your kind attention. And I really appreciate you coming here to join me tonight. And uh, let's all just give ourselves a round of applause. Well, you should be reaching around and patting yourself on the back right now. You know why? Because you just made it through episode 160 of the Lifestylist podcast. Man, I had no idea two years ago when I started this show, A, that it was going to fly, B, that I'd be doing it two years later, C, that I would be speaking all over the damn country at these events and having the opportunity to record them and share them with beautiful souls like you. So thank you so much for listening. I really, truly hope that you got something out of it. I'm someone that is, has suffered a lot in life like we all have. And uh, it's my mission to take that suffering and transmute it with my own spiritual alchemy into solutions that will help people that listen to the show and come to my events. It's really fun to be able to share my experience. And man, there's nothing like getting in a room full of Lifestylist podcast listeners and really making that that connection to the spirits in the room. You know, we were crying, we were laughing, we had a good old time. So, you know, I'm really, able, I'm really glad that you were able to join us. And you might've even been there. You know, a lot of people listen to the show, then they come to the events, then they listen to the show that they were at. So there you go. Bulletproof Upgrade Labs, amazing venue, amazing location. By the way, I don't know if I really mentioned that during the talk because I just went into this insane vortex of God energy. The download was just happening. But that place is fantastic on the physical level. Dude, you got to get your body tuned up and have enough mitochondria energy, enough ATP, enough juice, enough chi in that meat suit so that your spirit can really do what it's supposed to do. And a place like um, Bulletproof Upgrade Labs makes that possible. Very cool venue over there. One of my favorite spots in Los Angeles. So there we go. You know what's up next? Oh my God, 161, dude. Danielle Laporte. Wow. Next Tuesday. Fantastic episode. Talk about a light worker. Talk about someone that knows how to transmute darkness into the brightest, shiniest, most pure white light. What a beautiful soul that is. I can't wait to share that episode with you. So that's 161. Danielle Laporte comes out on Tuesday. Do not miss it. You're going to be playing yourself. Subscribe to the show so you don't miss it. Listen, I want to make a request here. If you enjoy these episodes that I'm putting out, would you do me a sincere favor? I'm literally like, it's me and you. Imagine this. I'm standing right in front of you, looking you in the eyes. You're like, hey, dude, I just listened to that show. It was pretty dope. Thanks for putting out the podcast. And I'm going to look right at you in your face. I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to say, thank you so much. I really appreciate the support. Would you do me a huge personal favor? This is your pal, Luke Story. This is your bro right here saying, would you please click on the app that hosts my podcast? It's the iTunes app, the Apple Podcast app, and click where it says, write a review and leave a review and a rating of the show. Now, if you don't use an Apple phone, if you don't use the podcast app, I've made it really easy for you to do. Again, this is me and you having a conversation. Don't lose the moment here. It's kind of a meditation we're doing here. (laughs) 
you can go to lukestory.com forward slash how to iTunes review. And I, I made the most badass infographic that tells you exactly how to leave a rating and review for my podcast. So if you're on the iPhone, if you have the podcast app, then you just click right in the app, right on the Lifestylist podcast. You'll see it. It says leave a review. You just click on that. It tells you what to do. It's super easy. It takes about 10 seconds, honestly. Or you can go to lukestroy.com forward slash how to iTunes review. Leave a rating and review. Okay, so this is me and you, eye to eye. I'm asking you. Now I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to put my hands together in prayer position and beg you, leave me a goddamn review. Seriously, it really helps uh, us podcasters because the way that iTunes works, I'm going to give you the inside scoop here. Pull back the curtain on the podcasting industry right here for you. The way it works is your show is ghosted. It is, it's not blacklisted. That's a little extreme. It's, it's shadow banned, okay? If no one knows it's there, why don't they know it's there? Because iTunes doesn't recognize it because it doesn't have enough ratings and reviews. Now I have hundreds of ratings and reviews and that's why my show has a decent index. I'm usually in the top 100 in the health category, but F the top 100, dog. We need to get in the top 20, at least, if not the top 10. You know what I'm saying? I put my heart and soul into this show and people seem to really like it. So leave a rating and review so that iTunes goes, oh, wow, our algorithm just went ding, ding, ding. This guy's getting a lot of hits on the ratings and reviews. Yeah, that's what it's all about. So I really appreciate you listening. If you want to take it a step further, that's how you do it. Speaking of steps, why don't you walk them little booties over to see me do my biohacking lounge and a talk very similar to the one that you just heard probably October 13th and 14th at Mercado Sagrado in Malibu Canyon. It's going to be an amazing weekend. It's one of my favorite events. And if you're not in California, you might be on the East Coast on October 25th where I'll be moderating a panel and doing all kinds of other wacky hijinks at Whitma Live in New York City. That's October 25th, Whitma Live at the Assemblage. Then a couple nights later, I'll be doing what I think is going to be the most epic workshop, kind of mini retreat ever Well, that I've ever done. I mean, I'm sure there's been more badass ones done by other people at some point in history. But subjectively, the most meaningful one to me is going to be at Rama Institute, October 27th, in celebration of my 48th birthday that is technically on October 29th. So that's my, my last weekend in New York City, October 27th at Rama Institute on the Lower East Side. You get to be a cool kid. Come hang on the LES. No, for real though, uh, go to lukestory.com forward slash events and you can get tickets, whether they be free or not. Some are free, some cost money. Those three actually cost money, but I do a lot of free events too. You missed them. Burn, or maybe you were there and like the one here at Bulletproof Upgrade Labs that you just listened to. All right, I'm done screwing around. It's freaking 11.36 p.m. My alarm telling me to go to bed went off at 10 p.m. I just kept recording. I just blasted right through that shit like I do every night. But goddamn it, one of these days, I'm going to get to sleep before 12 midnight. And tonight might be the night. Good night to you and yours. God bless. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net. 